We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's December 2nd, 2021, a date that will be added to the list of work stoppages for Major League Baseball as they enter their ninth work stoppage and fourth ever lockout. All 30 owners voted to enter in a lockout as the CBA expired at 11 p.m. Central Time on December 1st, midnight Eastern Time. Off-season activity will stop. It's a disappointing result as a fan, but perhaps the work stoppage will allow both parties to make fixes that are needed for the sport. We'll discuss what is being proposed by both the Owners and Players Association with the early leaks, and we'll also take a look at the White Sox offseason to date and ponder which directions they will go post-lockout, whenever that is. Joining me to record this podcast is a fellow editor on SoxMachine.com. It is Greg Nix. Ed, Greg, thanks for hopping on, filling in for Jim in this podcast episode. Oh, happy to be here, uh, even discussing a somewhat unhappy topic. Uh, yes, very much so. And we should also use this as an opportunity because Jim will be listening and Jim, we just want to say congratulations to you and Kara. Jim is a dad. If you didn't see that news on socksmachine.com, uh, super excited. It's great to see another White Sox fan. And, uh, I can't wait to work with their new Sox machine intern, Greg. I think it's going to be a great addition to the staff. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, well, a hearty second, uh, secondary congratulations to Jim and yeah, unpaid labor. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, right? Yeah. 18 years. I believe we get unpaid labor. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course. Uh, but speaking of being not paid and labor, uh, major league baseball, now entering into a lockout and the owners and players association since this past Monday for three days were having these short meetings in Irving, Texas, which is outside of Dallas. And during these short meetings, it was very back and forth in which the reporters, and there's been excellent reporting 
about these conversations going on, Greg, in which the Players Association would have a proposal. They would spend 30 minutes going over the big items in the proposal. The owners would then leave, leave the hotel completely, go wherever their powwow is. They would have discussions for hours and then they would have their counters as they arrived back to the hotel. And it was a big thing when they arrived and they would have another 30 to 45 minute conversation and both parties would break off and they would go back to their huddles and continue these conversations. They, as in these two parties, were not working up to the deadline. And they weren't having negotiations as the CBA expired. So maybe that says that they are still pretty far apart as far as the owners and the players association on a new CBA. But I don't want to get into the nitty gritty as far as the dollars and the terminology because I'm not a contract lawyer. I'm not a labor lawyer. Are you a labor lawyer? Maybe in a in a past. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, uh, I can speak with much more expertise than you can. <laughs> okay, all right. So then, I, I I think instead of getting to the nitty gritty as far as the details, uh, there are some fun things that have been exchanged as far as the proposals that I, I'd like to chat with you about. But as a fan of the sport, what are you hoping to see out of these negotiations? between the owners and players, because this is the first time there's been a work stoppage since 1994, which we all know that's the player strike that canceled the 1994 World Series. A terrible time for White Sox fans as the 94 White Sox were really good and the previous year they made it to the American League Championship Series. But now in the present and we're in another work stoppage, what are you hoping the outcome is out of these negotiations? Well, you know, I guess my main hope as a fan is is just a quick resolution. Um, I don't know how realistic that hope is. I, I would imagine that we're going to see this drag on for a while. Uh, beyond that, I think, you know, as a fan and, and sort of like um, – seeing the ways that the economics of the game maybe take advantage of, of some types of players, younger players, um, that kind of thing. I think I would be, I would have a happier time rooting for the White Sox and, and just, you know, uh, giving my money and my interest to Major League Baseball just to know that there was sort of more equity uh, in the way that those younger players are paid and and treated. Um, but the, again, like the specifics of how that would work, I mean, it, it, it's so complex um, and there's so many, you know, different forces at play that I, I don't, I wouldn't even know necessarily what the best solution is. And I think that's one of the reasons that there, uh, there is a labor stoppage now is because I think that's something that the players union really wants and that, um, the owners I think are going to be forced to address, but I don't know that either side has a, a great picture of what that's going to look like. Yeah. And this is the part of the conversation as baseball fans that many fans tune out, right? Because it's arguments between billionaires and millionaires. And man, there have been some players that are getting signed to large sums of money. But that's like the 1% of players. The median salary is still, I, I think, below a million dollars because you have 
so many young players in the sport today. I am hoping from a players association perspective, they do a much better job of protecting the younger players and put things in the CBA to really address the service time manipulation because we have spent days, maybe days of our lifetime, Greg. I know we have spoken hours on this podcast and arguing with people on social media and even in real life and in the comments section of SoxMachine.com about service time manipulation. And I've always hated it. It's never made sense to me as far as what is best for the sport. Why are you holding back these young players to game a system so you can gain an extra year of control and Chris Bryant being the most famous case and the Cubs didn't even take advantage of that extra year of control. They traded him to the San Francisco Giants. So at the end of the day, it was a moot point. They should have just played Chris Bryant from opening day, but that's hindsight. And, and we saw the White Sox play these games with Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez and I never want to see these games get played again. When a player is ready to go, even if they are young and they show promise and your team is going nowhere, I want teams to stop gaming the system and hold these guys back in hopes to gain extra years of control. As a fan, I don't think that's good for the sport. Play the best players all the time. And that's just how I feel. And hopefully the... The Players Association does a good job with negotiations to help as far as the owners see that it's also not good for baseball and it's something that's addressed in the CBA. Now, some of the things that I find interesting that are coming out of the leaks, and I do think that this is going to be happening, Greg, especially for the 2022 season, is playoff expansion. And for fans that don't care about the dollars and cents, this is something that interests, I think, everybody that either covers the sport or is a fan of the sport. And it looks like from the owners, they are hoping to expand to seven playoff teams in each league. And the players have counter-proposed a six-team playoff. And the owner's playoff format is weird. For the seven teams, the division winner, so three divisions... The division winner that has the best record in the league uh, gets the bye. They go straight to the five-game division series. And then the other two division winners, uh, the second and third seeds, we'll call them in this situation, they would get to pick their 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 opponent. In a three-game playoff, Greg, they would pick their opponent. So using this past American League postseason Tampa Bay was number one seed they don't play in the three game series they get a bye they go straight to the division series Houston would pick their opponent out of Boston New York Toronto and Seattle and then after Houston makes their selection the White Sox would pick their opponent and the two teams remaining would play against each other and the team that had the better record that wasn't drafted would host a three-game playoff. What do you think about that playoff format that's being proposed by the owners to the players? 
so I guess my gut reaction to it was that's way too many teams to be in the playoffs, and I <laughs> I don't like that system. I hate it already, um, which I think was a lot of people's reactions and is, is sort of like just the general baseball fan, like instinctual reaction to like any large change. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I, I still carry that suspicion, but in thinking about it and in listening to you describe it too, there's some things that I think could work about it, um, particularly because uh, being a big NBA fan, I think that the play-in tournament that they added to the NBA last season was a huge positive for the league overall because it kept more teams interested and invested and trying until the end of the season. And then those teams sort of just like lost at in the first round of the playoffs anyway. And, and so it didn't really affect the quality of the playoff product, but it did improve the quality of the regular season product. Um, and I think that maybe there is some possibility that it could work uh, in that same way in baseball that we also kind of saw in the 2020 season when we saw, you know, teams like the Reds going for it. And, um, and maybe even some teams are anticipating this expansion with like the Rangers spending so much free agent money and now the Cubs signing Marcus Stroman and that stuff, like maybe it will lead to more teams that are not terrible that like less tanking teams basically. Um, and so sort of a more competitive product, uh, throughout the regular season. Um, I guess that would be sort of my glass half full version of it, um, which is different than my initial take. Um, but I, I, I'm definitely still uncertain on it. Um, I think that the choosing of playoff opponents is like marginally interesting, but I sort of dread the like specials that it will uh, yep. <laughs> on ESPN and MLB network of like, and now the draft playoff special. Um, Cause it's just not that interesting, you know? So I guess I'm on the fence right now and I, and I want to see how it plays out. How do you feel about it? I hate it. <laughs> I, so, and we have talked about this on this podcast when ESPN's television deal expired and they renewed with major league baseball, major league baseball promised ESPN in that contract that ESPN would have exclusive rights to a new postseason round. So I've always known that playoff expansion was going to be happening. And you're absolutely right, Greg. And this, uh, the, the, the division winners picking their opponent would totally be on ESPN. Uh, you have Jeff Pass in there, you know, possibly leaking out what he's hearing on what, you know, who the Houston Astros may pick in the, for their first round opponent. And if they pick this team, then, what will the White Sox do and who will be their opponent and who will be left standing? And does anyone want to see the Toronto Blue Jays? Will the Toronto Blue Jays get drafted or are they just going to be left behind and face whatever team is left over? Uh, it's, that, a, it's a whole new mock draft uh, architecture. So many, so many new mock drafts can be mocked. It, exactly. It, it does generate more conversation and more attention and I guess more intrigue leading up to the postseason, but you got to deal with game 163 still, you know, <laughs> like there's not a lot of time between the regular season ending and the postseason beginning. Like, I, I don't know how the format would be, but it would be great television. I, I will give major league baseball credit for that. The owner's proposal for 17 playoff 
would make for great television, at least as far as the setup. And, you know, in that situation, who do you think the Astros would have drafted out of those four teams, Boston, New York, Toronto, and Seattle to be their first round opponent? Gee, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think Seattle because they knew them so well. Probably. And they had sort of, they were the, they overachieved their run differential. They, you know, the least amount of elite players, um, probably. So yeah, I, I guess that I would assume would be how it would work out. So who do you think the White Sox would have picked then out of Boston, New York and Toronto? You know, I think interestingly, they may have selected Boston. Exactly. And just how dismal those games were against the New York Yankees for the White Sox in, uh, in 2021. I don't know if that series would have played out differently between the White Sox and the Red Sox. But that's where we're talking through this because that is the idea from the owners for playoff expansion. You ready to hear on what the players countered with their thoughts on playoff expansion? A 16 playoff in which the division winners get a bye. We'll get to that in a moment. And then the third seed would face the sixth seed and the fourth seed would face the fifth seed in the three game playoff round, which the third seed and the fourth seed would host. And there are those that are listening to this podcast right now saying, well, that's a terrible situation for the team that wins a division but has a worse record than the other two division winners because your reward for winning a division in 162 game season is hosting a three game playoff in which anything could happen in those three games. However, the players are pitching a division realignment in which it would be two divisions in each league and writing it down on paper. As far as if you do it by geography, I think the Chicago White Sox, because one division will have eight teams, the other division would have seven teams, and it sets up for expansion, which we know that Major League Baseball wants to expand. They want to add two more teams. In addition to the upcoming moves, Oakland's moving to Las Vegas. Like that, I am for certain that's going to be happening. And eventually, one day, the Rays are going to move out of St. Petersburg and they're going to move to Montreal. And Outside of Vegas and Montreal, I think we're going to get two more markets that join Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball have 32 teams. And if you have a division with seven teams, you can just boom, really easy, add that expansion team to that division. But when I was looking at it and and the White Sox were in the American League West when they won that division in 1993 before the strike and before the wild card was introduced, Greg, writing it down on paper, I think the White Sox in this proposal would move back to the American League West and your American League West would be the Texas Rangers, the Houston Astros, the Las Vegas A's, the Los Angeles Angels, the Kansas City Royals, the Seattle Mariners, the Minnesota Twins and the Chicago White Sox. And then Cleveland and Detroit would move over to the East to join the American League East teams. And when Major League Baseball expands, they could add that eighth team to the East, or if they want to add another West Coast team in the American League, Chicago is further East than Minneapolis. So I would assume that Chicago, the Chicago White Sox would move to 
the American League East, which that would be a lot more difficult than the Central. But from the players' proposal, not only are we talking about playoff expansion, we're also talking about division realignment. So with that laying it out as far as that postseason proposal, how do you like or maybe not like what the players are pitching for a postseason expansion? Well, I don't love going back to the uneven divisions if a division winner is going to be such a, there's going to be such a line of distinction in the benefits of winning a division versus uh, being a wild card is kind of unfair to the seven team divisions. Um, I don't know. I it, That's like a pretty radical change, but I guess realignment in uh, after 1994 was, uh, was radical as well. So um, yeah, I guess I don't have a hot take on this would be my, uh, <laughs> my biggest response. I, I, I think I like the owner's proposal a little bit better, even though it has an additional team making the playoffs. Um, I think I prefer sort of the one team buy. You, you have the best record in the league. So you get a buy than the two division winner buys that interestingly, I would say structurally that's, that's closer to sort of how the NFL, uh, does it or used to do it anyway. Um, I don't know. It it sounds like it sounds like you prefer the players proposed. I do. I do. Yeah, the seven team, I don't know. It's just it's it's an odd number to begin with. So thinking of like a bracket and drawing it up just throws me in for a loop. So that's one part of why I don't like the idea. But I, I do like I do like the players' proposal on playoff expansion and I am one, yeah. Let's move back to two divisions and see on how the scheduling will work as far as trying to be more balanced in the scheduling of the 162 game season. I don't know how it will impact as far as the white Sox, but it has me, it has me thinking Greg, that are we going to have the American league central in 2023 is, is division realignment upcoming for the white Sox. And, And this is important to talk about from a white Sox fan perspective, because I don't think division realignment was in the cards during this contention window. And if your division gets a lot tougher, if all of a sudden you're in the same division as like the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners and the Texas Rangers, these teams that just recently spent a lot of money and made huge investments. Well, the path to winning that division, the path to the postseason, is a bit tougher than where the White Sox currently are today with Detroit, Cleveland, Minnesota, and Kansas City, all kind of in this weird stage of you don't really take them seriously as a contender yet. Yeah, I mean, definitely it would make it a lot tougher. Um, I think that the strength of of the division is arguably as important to the White Sox contention window right now as the roster is currently constructed as as the actual players on hand, you know, like, um, they, I, I think against an adding organizations like the Astros to their division and more regularly to the schedule, I think would, would definitely be, um, have a negative impact on the competitiveness of the team. Although 
it might also be more interesting to see the White Sox test themselves against the Astros um, for, you know, 11 or 12 games a year versus just like stomping on the Royals or whoever for 17. Yeah, the mentality of iron sharpens iron, right? If you are in the same division as some really strong teams that theoretically it should make you pretty strong going into the postseason. Yeah, I can I can buy that. We the American League East had three teams that made the postseason. They were all really strong. Well, we were talking at the end of the season as well, like right after the Astros series, about how like, man, like a lot of the sort of White Sox fans, White Sox Twitter had this suspicion like the team is not as good as the Astros. Does the front office know this? And then it was sort of roundly proved in that series, maybe it would give sort of a, a more clear yardstick of where the White Sox are in terms of actual world championship contention. So the playoff expansion is something that's going to be negotiated, but those are the two leaked ideas right now, the owner's proposal and the player's proposal. We'll see which one ends up winning out or some type of combination of the two but expect postseason expansion, especially in 2022. I don't think we're going to just have five teams in the playoffs. I do think we're going to see six or maybe even seven teams make the playoffs. And again, that makes it a bit easier for the White Sox to make it three straight seasons of reaching the postseason in 2022, uh, where they don't win the division for XYZ reason. Well, there'll be one or two more wild cards that they can uh, enter into the postseason that right that way. And who knows? Maybe we'll have the conversation in the future about which team the White Sox should pick to face in the postseason. I just still find that very uh, bizarre. But some other things that really caught my attention as far as looking at the reporting of what's being leaked out in these negotiations. So for the players to make more money because they, they want a bigger piece of the pie for revenue wise. They have pitched the idea of advertisements on the uniform. So we are seeing this in the NBA, and I think it's coming in the NHL. Uh, we don't really see it in the NFL yet, but obviously when it comes to professional soccer, it is in the forefront. It's right there in the middle of the uniform kits. How do you feel about that possibility of additional advertising logos on the uniforms, Greg. I don't love it, but it's something that feels kind of inevitable. If not now, it'll be mm. in a couple of years. I mean, I think once we saw it happen in the NBA and they sort of, uh, you know, were the first major American sport to do that. And it has, there has been very little backlash and it's been easy money for the teams. I think, MLB saw that and immediately started calculating how much money they could make. Well, you're a Phoenix Suns fan. What is? The, I don't even know what their advertisement logo is. I I is it square? It was. I think it's PayPal. Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, because that's true or not. The Chicago Bulls is the the eyeglass company. Zenny, I think. And I I barely know them but <laughs> what that yes it's paypal for the sons yeah but it's millions of dollars right it's millions of dollars that the nba teams are getting and i don't know how that money works but from major league baseball players what they're pitching is is that let's put advertisements on the uniforms 
and that will help generate more revenue for us. So if you are not willing to give up more money from the television contracts or the gambling money, let's do this as a way to generate more additional revenue outside the contract revenue for the players. We'll see what the owners have to say. You know you're going to get those old school baseball fans that will say absolutely not. There should be the only logos that should be on the uniforms is the team logos. And all new uniforms have the big Nike swoosh on them, Greg. So you already have advertisements, right? You already have advertisers on the uh, the uniforms. It's just that we are, we're so used to seeing the Nike swoosh on any uniform that they are that they are making for any sport or any university that it's just something we really don't think about anymore. But yeah, there's, there's advertising already on the uniform. So I can understand where the players are coming from. I'm just curious and who would sponsor the white Sox. I was thinking like Portillo's or beggars pizza. <laughs> uh, the Washington nationals would have to be sponsored by Walgreens, right? Like there's no if ands or buts about that. You don't even need to place the logo. They should already be, <laughs> Advertising. I'm thinking the local pipe fitters union of Chicago. Uh, there you go. <laughs> does the radio ads. I'd like to see their logo on uh, Jose Abreu's peck. Malort. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the other uh, interesting thing. And uh, after this point, we're going to talk about the White Sox offseason. Uh, some changes to the Major League Baseball draft and the owners and it sounds like the players are game for this as well is borrowing an idea from the NBA when it comes to the draft lottery in which the teams that don't make the postseason could enter in a lottery and the lottery will determine where you draft and not based on record and they're hoping that this prevents tanking uh, because the team that doesn't make the postseason maybe they finish with the 14th or the 14th worst record in baseball. So they were just outside of making the postseason. Uh, maybe they get lucky and in the lottery, they get the fourth overall pick and the team that had the fourth worst record in baseball. They don't get lucky in the lottery and they have the 10th overall pick uh, that would really dramatically change as far as on how teams plan for the draft, especially scouting wise, because Right now, teams have a pretty good idea of what their draft pool is going to be, and that influences the conversations, especially in the first round, of who you're talking to and what type of money that you're talking about uh, when it comes to signing bonuses when it gets closer to draft day. But how do you feel about, with you being a big NBA fan, Greg, uh, taking the draft lottery concept and bringing it to Major League Baseball as a way to reduce the amount of tanking that we see in the league. Well, I don't think, you know, that in, in personal opinion, anyway, that the lottery is, is terribly effective in the NBA at preventing tanking. I think the flattening of the lottery odds helped a little bit, but actually the play in tournament helped uh, a lot more. Um, so that's one reason why I'm, I'm thinking the owner's proposal is, is maybe not something to throw directly in the garbage. Um, I also think, you know, compared to the NBA where the draft picks, particularly, you know, the first two or three draft picks are usually like play right away are something of a sure thing. 
um, you know, there's a lot fewer, I would say, busts at the top of the NBA lottery than in the M- or at in the top of the NBA draft than there are in MLB draft, where you know you generally see what a third of the players in the first round never even make it to the majors, right? So I wonder. I would think that the uh, bonus pools maybe would be a, a more direct way of of addressing sort of the tanking thing and and you know the size of those bonus pools rather than direct directly the draft order i guess um no i th- i agree with you because if right now like i don't think the pittsburgh pirates are going to be very good and they had the number one pick overall last year and they got more than 10 plus million dollars in their draft pool and it influences, especially early in the draft, on the types of players they are able to target. They get to manipulate that draft pool to try to get the best talent that they could sign possible. But in this scenario, the Pirates are still bad, and they have the worst record in baseball, and they don't have good luck in the lottery. And let's say they end up with the fourth or fifth overall pick. They lose millions of dollars in draft pool money. And that impacts as far as their draft strategy. And I think Major League Baseball is looking at it from that perspective of you don't know what your draft pool is until we have the draft lottery. So don't try to tank and have the worst record in the league because it's not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to have the number one pick and you're going to have the largest draft pool. Now, theoretically... I guess that makes sense, but in reality, does that does the lottery do a good job in the NBA preventing tanking? I, I think you said it doesn't, and I, I still see tons of tanking as 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 a bandwagon NBA fan now because the Chicago Bulls are good. Yes, the Bulls are back. Uh, I'm still catching up on you know how the NBA works today, presently. And I'm still seeing terrible basketball from some teams. And when I read up from those fans' blogs, it's very clear that they're in a rebuild and they're tanking like we see in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I I just, I think rarely would a team tank for a specific player in the MLB draft when, when teams are tanking in the NBA, it usually is for a specific player. You know, you're tanking for Zion Williamson or Anthony Davis or, you know, whoever the the number one prospect is that year that everybody's been watching since high school and knows is a sure thing. Can't miss, uh, can't miss prospect. That doesn't really happen in MLB. So really the thing that you're tanking for is that big bonus pool to, you know, spread out your risk or to get multiple high ceiling players or whatever it is. So I would think if they're looking for an anti-tanking strategy, then flattening those bonus pools, um, would be, a more effective and more direct way of going about it because you're right. Teams tank all the time in the NBA, even with the newly flattened odds, you're still seeing teams like the Houston Rockets who are absolutely horrible this year, you know, and they're cause they want to get a a high draft pick, even if it's only a 25% chance at the number one pick instead of a 35% chance at the number one pick, you know? The Rockets look good against the Bulls. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that was bad timing for me to mention that. <laughs> uh, they're they're horrible against everybody except for the Bulls, I guess. 
And that's your NBA talk for the Sox Machine podcast. But they're going to they're going to be other items that will be leaked as the negotiations continue. And already you have Rob Manfred write a letter to fans apologizing for the current situation, asking for patience. The Players Association throwing some mud at the league saying, "You don't you don't need to enter in a lockout. You did not need to do that." And legally and technically they're right. The league did not have to enter in a lockout as the CBA expired, but the league decided to make that choice. They voted unanimously to enter in a lockout, and that's where we are currently. And as far as the sport of Major League Baseball, we are in a standstill until a new CBA is agreed upon. And when we get more leaked proposals or ideas, we'll we'll chat about them on the Sox Machine podcast. We'll also write about them on SoxMachine.com. Greg and I are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about where the White Sox offseason is to date, chat about some of the comments that Rick Hahn made, and ponder what is next for the White Sox post-lockout. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast, as I'm Josh Nelson, alongside Greg Nix. And now we look at the Chicago White Sox and their offseason to date. And out of all the flurry of moves since Black Friday, it's an insane amount of free agent signings, Greg. I, I am having, and I've had a difficult time just keeping up as there's so much going on every single day that I've lost track of when these players signed. Like, Robbie Ray feels like he signed with Seattle last week, but that was on Tuesday. <laughs> that was just two days ago uh, that he signed. And on Wednesday, before the CBA expired, the, the big free agent signings were Marcus Stroman signing with the Chicago Cubs, uh, a bit surprising, but the Stro Show is going to Wrigley Field and the North Side. And Chris Taylor uh, re-signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers for a four-year, $60 million contract. There is a club option for a fifth year valued at $13 million. And when you look at that type of contract, that's right in the wheelhouse of what the White Sox like to spend in free agency when you look at contracts from Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel a couple of years ago that the White Sox signed. But alas, it sounds like Taylor really wanted to continue living in Los Angeles 
and playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers, it's a good pairing. It makes sense. There's no reason to sweat or cry about it as a from a White Sox fan perspective, but the money that he signed for, the White Sox could have afforded that. And on that note, there's going to be fans screaming at me right now listening to the podcast, Greg, saying, well, the White Sox could afford anyone. And I, I guess technically that is true. They they definitely can't afford it anyone. And it's really their decision of what they want to do. But right now, the White Sox offseason is they picked up the option for Craig Kimbrell, which we're going to talk about that in a moment. They declined to give a qualifying offer to Carlos Rodon. They signed Kendall Graveman to a three-year, $24 million contract. And they signed Lurie Garcia to a three-year, $16.5 million contract. Greg, this is not a very exciting start to the White Sox offseason. And the question has been posed to me when I've hosted the Twitter spaces. Are the White Sox better today than they were when they lost the division series against the Houston Astros? And I could see it in both ways that yes and no, that they, they are not better than where they are so far in the offseason as we enter in the lockout. How, how are you feeling about what the White Sox have done so far this offseason? Well, I, I would say they're definitely worse because they don't have Carlos Rodon currently. Um, and, you know, Kendall Graveman is a fine, I think, setup arm, um, but is not has nowhere near the ceiling of a Rodon. So, you know, even that one kind of absence makes them worse than they were. And the fact that they haven't done anything yet doesn't mean that they won't, but it's it certainly is disappointing to see the amount of activity that other teams have gotten done um, and the amount of excitement that has brought um, to those teams as, as well as in some cases, you know, taking away options like Taylor who might have been uh, options for the White Sox in, in a different universe. So I think uh, it's, it's definitely been a frustrating off season thus far, but it's more because of what other teams are doing than what the White Sox are doing. Um, they could easily, you know, whenever the CBA gets resolved, if it's February, they could in two weeks sign Michael Conforto and you know trade for a trade for John Segura. You know, trade Craig Kimbrell for John. Se- Offseason, I'm happy with the guys that they brought in. You know, but right now, obviously, it's frustrating. And some quotes from Rick Hahn, who had a press conference to announce the Lurie Garcia signing, and when asked about as far as the the current postseason and the activity. For the White Sox this postseason, uh, Rickon said, no matter the time of the year, we try to function in a way that we are prepared to move quickly when an opportunity presents itself. We have an idea, whether it's on the table uh, via trade or free agent front, what we feel is appropriate from a cost standpoint. And when those opportunities arise, we are prepared to move. What we feel is appropriate from a cost standpoint, I think is the key line in what Rick Hahn said during his press conference, Greg. And I think it's the key line because when you look at this free agency frenzy, the players that have signed, these marquee free agents, are getting not only the dollar amount that they're seeking, but also the years. They're getting sticker price And it's the sticker price that they are setting 
and teams are willing to meet it. Now, the teams are not playoff contenders or playoff teams from last year, right? The Texas Rangers missed the playoffs. The Seattle Mariners missed the playoffs, though they were pretty good last year. They won 90 games. The New York Mets were in first place for a while, but they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, The Chicago Cubs didn't make the playoffs, and a lot of people don't think that they're going to be strong contenders in 2022, but they're spending money on Marcus Stroman. And then you look at the Houston Astros. Uh, They haven't made big moves yet. Uh, The New York Yankees haven't made big moves yet. The Boston Red Sox traded Hunter Renfro uh, to bring back Jackie Bradley Jr. before the deadline, but they haven't made big moves. And Tampa Bay hasn't made big moves. So when you look at the teams that made the playoffs last year, they also haven't made any big moves as well. And when you look at it from that perspective... Does it make what the White Sox have done so far this offseason better or more palatable? Or is it a situation where you can't rest on your on your laurels and even though the other contenders aren't, aren't doing anything, that's no excuse for you to be somewhat sitting on your hands? Yeah, I would say that it's not really an excuse, you know, that it was proven that the White Sox were not as good as at least one of those teams in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, sort of by the transitive property, I guess, not as good as some others. So, yeah, I mean, if, if other teams are sort of standing pat or playing it slow, I would think that's a time to kind of be aggressive. Um, but, you know, I guess... <laughs> what's appropriate from a cost standpoint is a pretty complicated way of saying that you're cheap. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and Rick Hahn is really good at coming up with complicated ways of saying that kind of thing. So I guess we'll just have to see if, uh, if the market comes down to what the White Sox think is appropriate, you know, but I think it's, uh, just, it's not really his fault right it sort of is the entire organization up to reinsdorf but it is another in sort of a long line of of frustrating ways that rick Hahn has talked about it and i guess most of that frustration just comes from that we as fans don't want him to be talking about it anymore we just want them to sign a good player to a big contract right we want the white Sox to have better players yeah, it's a pretty simple demand in the end or, or request. Right. And, you know, bringing back Louis Garcia, he's a safety net. And whatever moves the White Sox are planning to make post-lockout, they know they got Louis Garcia in tow. And he could help start games at second base, and he could help start games in right field. And if someone gets hurt like Tim Anderson and Yohan Makata, we've seen Garcia be able to spell time for them at shortstop and at third base. There's value in having someone like Lurie Garcia as that super utility guy. But right now, he's your starting second baseman because I feel like he's going to beat out Danny Mendick and Romy Gonzalez to start at that position. And then we're talking about right field for the White Sox. And if you don't feel that the price for Michael Conforto or Nicholas Castellanos is appropriate, are you going to lose out on them? Because pre-lockout, the answer is yes, you are not signing them because everyone else, Greg, is getting exactly what they're asking for. We thought it was silly that Marcus Simeon is asking for seven years. Who's going to sign Simeon to seven years? Texas. 
That's that's who's signing Simeon for seven years. And Simeon is now wearing a Texas Rangers uniform. Who's going to pay Max Scherzer 40 plus million dollars a season? The New York Mets. And now Scherzer is wearing a Mets uniform. And I, I think we're going to learn that with Carlos Correa. He's not going to give any team a discount. And he's going to sign a mega deal. And the team that's willing to meet his price, that's the uniform he's wearing in 2022 and beyond. So if the White Sox are serious about a marquee free agent, I don't know if you could sit around and wait until their price is quote unquote appropriate for you to pounce on that opportunity, right? Like you're going to have to act like some of these other teams and you're going to have to meet what they're asking for as far as contract structure, the amount of years and money or you're going back to the well that we've seen the White Sox go back to so often and sign these veteran guys to a one or two year deal, the dead cat bounce category and hope that they get good production in 2022 because they didn't feel the cost was appropriate. Yeah. Can't argue with the word. It's, it's like I said, it's frustrating. This is what Rick Hahn said about Craig Kimbrell, because when the White Sox picked up his option for $16 million, we all thought that a trade is imminent. And we have talked about it on this podcast multiple times. We felt that Craig Kimbrell is going to be traded before the CBA expires. That did not happen. And by the way that Rick Hahn talked about the trade market being very slow the rumors of a trade being imminent were not true. And the White Sox still have Craig Kimbrell on their roster. And it raises questions of what's next with Craig Kimbrell post lockout. And Rick Hahn said about Craig Kimbrell, quote, we made no secret about the fact that how we use Craig Kimbrell last year didn't quite work to anyone's benefit. Certainly there's a spot for him on this club going forward. But it's going to require us modifying potentially how that bullpen is deployed. Alternatively, I know his name has been out there for a fair amount in trade rumors. So if there's a possible fit out there, obviously it's our responsibility to pursue it. I want to address the second part of this quote first. Rick, you are the one that brought up trade when talking about Craig Kimbrell in your offseason press conference. You brought it up. So let's not pretend that people are making things up in potential trade rumors. And, oh, if it becomes a thing, then yes, we will take the opportunity to pursue it. You already planted that seed, my dude. Okay. So let's not try to act like other people are making things up on a potential trade rumor for Craig Kimbrell. But Kimbrell's still on the White Sox, Greg. And Han is opening up the door that Kimbrell could still be with the White Sox. On opening day 2022 and be part of the White Sox bullpen. And if that is the case, the White Sox may greatly modify on how and which use uh, relievers they use in high leverage situations. Does this make sense to you that the White Sox are going to be willing to bend over backwards to satisfy Craig Kimbrell when Liam Hendricks has won the American League Reliever of the Year back-to-back seasons? No, I mean, I think it's a weird situation, and it has been kind of, I mean, most of the time that Kimbrough's been here, but particularly since they picked up the option, 
you know, sort of on the on the leap of faith that there would be a trade partner. And again, it's something that there could be. There's a lot of offseason left, assuming the CBA gets worked out. But I think, no, it doesn't make sense to accommodate Kimbrell in that way. I don't even think it I'm, – I'm not sure what he would even say if they – told him they were going to do that but it doesn't it doesn't sound like something that most players would feel great about about sort of like well you sucked <laughs> in this certain way last year so uh we're going to we're going to rearrange everything for you you know it doesn't speak to uh what i would think would be his competitive instinct maybe um and i think if they can't trade Kimbrel they actually should probably seriously consider trading Hendricks. Uh, you could get more for Hendricks, obviously. Um, so maybe it's a way to fill one of the, either the second base job or the, the right field job long-term. Um, but it doesn't make sense for the White Sox with the amount of payroll that they are going to spend to commit $40 million to the back three relievers on their in their bullpen. I mean, that's a quarter of the team's overall salary probably um so i think you know they they have painted themselves into a corner where they essentially have to trade kimbrell um or if not i think they'll look very foolish going into opening day and and maybe that's the sort of worst consequence and they just roll with you know having craig kimbrell and liam hendricks at the back of the bullpen and it works just like they thought it would work last year it could still do it could still work in that way but it doesn't make sense just from a sort of resource allocation uh perspective right and here's how i feel about craig kimbrell now and this whole situation craig i don't know why the white Sox are willing to bend over backwards for craig kimbrell i i don't get it for someone that is what going to appear 60, 70 games in 2022, maybe pitches 70 innings for you out of a 162 game season that you are willing to rearrange your high leverage situations. And the guy that you signed your marquee free agent signing last year, Liam Hendricks, who signed up and signed here to be with the white Sox to close games for a contender and was really good in that role last year. You're willing to mix that up because that put supposedly puts Craig Kimbrell in a better position to perform. And that position is that he's only good in save situations. Like this is mind blowing to me because it's very diva like, and I don't think it's worth the headache. And I do think it will create a headache because if he's still on the white Sox come spring training, Greg, Guess what we're talking about all spring training? Who's closing games for the White Sox? Kimbrell or Hendricks? And the honest answer is probably yes. Whoever Tony La Russa feels is going to be the better fit for that particular game, which great. Now we're bringing the manager into the fold as far as the decision making on flipping a coin of which closer that he wants to go to in a given day. And it's just... It's also very frustrating that they're going to spend $16 million on a guy who's going to throw 70 innings. And we may see in that scenario, Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets trying to figure out how to learn play right field. Like, really? What are we doing here? And you, and you mentioned the resource allocation. And this is where I just can't wrap my head around. 
how can you justify spending $16 million on a guy who's only going to pitch 70 innings in a season and you don't even bother throwing that type of cash in a single season for someone who could play right field for 140 games for you in 2022? Like, that's just, I don't know, man. This whole situation, I don't like it. And I think the White Sox should make any type of trade for Kimbrel. I know so many White Sox fans are hoping that they can get a starting mid in middle infielder for Kimbrel. Forget that. If it's just for prospects, take it because I think the biggest benefit moving Craig Kimbrel is freeing up his $16 million salary and using that cash to address the other holes in this roster. Or you could take some of that cash and go side Ryan to para and add him back to the bullpen. But I just don't, it's not worth the hassle and rearranging the back end of your bullpen just to satisfy Craig Kimbrell. And it's not even a given he's going to be good in that role because he wasn't good for you at all when you acquired him from the Chicago Cubs. So that's my Craig Kimbrell rant. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Craig, for laying that out on you. I mean, we've all felt it deep inside, Josh. You were just the one to verbalize it. So you've done White Sox fans a service. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's not worth it. It, it. it It's really not. And I'll be honest, I'll be disappointed if he's on the White Sox roster in 2022. I am hoping that if he is, that it's a much better result. And the Super Bullpen that we were thinking the White Sox would have post-trade deadline in 2021 comes to fruition, but the results for Craig Kimbrell, they've been sporadic since he joined Boston in their run to win the 2018 world series. Like people forget it was Chris sale on the mound when the Red Sox closed out the world series to win that championship, not Craig Kimbrell. And while he had a great first half with the Chicago Cubs, his tenure with the Cubs was really spotty. So this isn't just something new that Kimbrell has been inconsistent with his results. This has been going on for a few seasons now. And again, I don't think it's, I don't think he's worth bending over backwards to rearrange the back part of your bullpen. I I say, you know what, if the Phillies still want them, but they're only willing to trade prospects, I say, take it, dump the cash. The prospects will help out because you have the worst farm system in Major League Baseball. So new faces are welcome right now uh, to, the, <laughs> to the minor leagues of the Chicago White Sox. But that's how I feel about the Kimbrell situation. And it's still going to be something we're talking about and thinking about into the lockout ends. Other than Craig Kimbrell, what else are you going to be paying attention to as soon as the lockout ends and the areas that you would like the White Sox to address, Greg? I think it's it's pretty solidly second base uh, is my you don't you're you're not buying Lurie Garcia as a starting second baseman. <laughs> I mean, I I think there's probably worse options, um, and I think probably the White Sox have fielded some of those options over you know our fandoms. They've they've played a lot of bad guys, specifically in the infield, uh, but. N- I I would rather see somebody with a little bit more upside. I think, and um, you know, I think what Lauri is good at is being that that utility player that can stand anywhere on the field, and and so I think actually if you're starting him, you're sort of robbing him of his greatest asset. Um, so again, it's not necessarily uh, a good. I guess it, it, it just isn't very 
<laughs> it's just not a good idea. I don't know how to say it. I'm trying to say it smart, but I can't. I just don't want. I think that he needs to be that safety net, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I also think simultaneously, like I'm more interested in seeing what Gavin Sheets and or Andrew Vaughn um, and or Adam Engel can do sort of to cobble together an average rotation in right field. I don't think that the White Sox have depth pieces that can necessarily do the same thing uh, at second base beyond Garcia. So, you know, even if you go with Garcia as your starting second baseman and then, yeah, Yoan Moncada misses a month or Tim Anderson misses a month, well, then Garcia is your shortstop and now you're back to Mendick or Romy Gonzalez, uh, just guys who haven't proven anything at the major league level and that maybe aren't a great bet to be uh, anything beyond league average, if they can even do that. So... I would be disappointed if there was no second base upgrade. And so that'll be the first thing I think I'm looking at also because I think there's less options at second base now than there were at the start of the off season. And then that there are uh, on the free agent market for right field. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast. Greg, I greatly appreciate you filling in and it's nice to chat with somebody else as far as uh, with the lockout beginning and uh, looking at what the White Sox have done and looking ahead to what the White Sox could possibly do. My, my final question for you is what are you going to do during the lockout? Well, definitely I'll be watching some basketball like we were talking about. So if you uh, need somebody to hop on the Sox Machine podcast and kill some time talking about the Suns, I'm happy to do that. I think the audience will really appreciate that. Um I think probably I'll, I'll play a lot of video games as well. You know, I, I'll get my baseball kicks that way. Oh, that's, well, that's actually, actually not, not a bad idea. idea. Maybe I'll have, have to fire up, up LB, LB the show. show. I'm not, not very good, good at, at that, that game. game. Uh, but yeah, yeah you're, I like, you're right. I, I like out of the park as well, because then I can be Rick Hahn. Oh, I can, uh, <laughs> the, the simulator. I can be the one who I can go in and sign Marcus Simeon. So I'll probably do that. There you go. You let me know how that works out in the uh, in the multiverse of the White Sox <laughs> possibilities. <laughs> we'll be waving some banners. I'll let you know how many. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast and you enjoy our work or you've been a longtime listener or a longtime lurker of the website, uh, think about signing up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they also get the first opportunity to purchase our new Sox Machine swag. And I have seen photos. New swag items are coming to the Sox Machine store just in time for winter to really hit in Chicago. So keep an eye out on that. But again, if you enjoy your work and you want more from us, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up where we have monthly plans starting at $2 a month and annual plans that save you 9%. And you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as the Pod- Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. Your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Greg Nix, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.